0: Section number thirty-three of the Glories of Ireland. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Glories of Ireland, edited by Joseph Dunn and P. J. Lennox. Section number thirty-three. Irish Wit and Humor by Charles L. Graves. No record of the Glories of Ireland would be complete. Without an effort, however inadequate, to analyze and illustrate her wit and humor. Often misunderstood, misrepresented, and misinterpreted, they are nevertheless universally admitted to be racial traits, and for an excellent reason. Other nations exhibit these qualities in their literature, and Ireland herself is rich in writers who have furnished food from earth. But her special preeminence resides in the possession of what, to adapt a famous phrase, May be called in an anima naturaliter jocosa Irish wit and Irish humor are a national inheritance. They are inherent in the race as a whole, independent of education or culture or comfort. The best Irish sayings are the sayings of the people. The greatest Irish humorists are the nameless multitude who have never written books or found a place in national dictionaries of biography. None but an Irishman could have coined that supreme expression of contempt. I wouldn't be seen dead with him at a pig fair or rebuked a young barrister because he did not squander his carcass, for example, gesticulate enough. But we cannot trace the paternity of these sayings any more than we can that of the lightning retort of the man to whom one of the quality had given a glass of whisky. That's made another man of you, Patsy, remarked the donor. Deedent it has, sore?" Patsy flashed back and that other man would be glad of another glass it is enough for our purpose to note that such sayings are typically irish and that their peculiar felicity consists in their combining both wit and humour to what element is the irish nature are we to attribute this joyous and illuminating gift no one who is not a gaelic scholar can venture to dogmatize on this thorny subject but setting philology and politics aside it is hard to avoid the conclusion that ireland has gained rather than lost in this respect by the clash of races and languages gaiety we are told is not the predominating characteristic of the celtic temperament nor is it reflected in the prose and verse of the old ancient days that have come down to us glamour and magic and passion abound in the lays and legends of the ancient gael but there is more melancholy than mirth in these tales of long ago Indeed, it is interesting to note in connection with this subject that the younger school of Irish writers associated with what is called the Celtic Renaissance have, with very few exceptions, sedulously eschewed anything approaching to jocosity preferring the paths of crepuscular mysticism or sombre realism, and openly avowing their distaste for what they consider to be the denationalized sentiment of Moore, Levar, and Lover, to say this is not to disparage the genius of yeats and singh it is merely a statement of fact and an illustration of the eternal dualism of the irish temperament which moore himself realized when he wrote of aaron the tear and the smile in thine eye a reaction against the donnybrook tradition was inevitable and to great extent wholesome since the stage irishman of the trans drama or the halls was for most part a gross and unlovely caricature but like all reactions it has tended to be obscure the real merits and services of those who showed the other side of the medal. lever did not exaggerate more than dickens and his portraits of galway fox-hunters and duelists of soldiers of fortune and of dublin undergraduates were largely based on fact at his best was a most exhilarating companion and his pictures of irish life if partial were not misleading He held no brief for the landlords, and in his later novels showed a keen sense of their shortcomings. The plain fact is that, in considering the literary glories of Ireland, we cannot possibly overlook the work of those Irishmen who were affected by English influences or wrote for an English audience. Anglo-Irish humorous literature was a comparatively late product, but its efflorescence was rapid and triumphant. The first great name is that of Goldsmith, And though deeply influenced in technique and choice of subjects by his association with English men of letters and by his residence in England, in spirit he remained Irish to the end. Generous, impulsive, and improvident in his life, genial, gay, and tender-hearted in his works. The vicar of Wakefield was Doctor Primrose, but he might just as well have been called Doctor Shamrock. No surer proof of the preeminence of Irish wit and humor can be found than in the fact that shakespeare alone accepted no writers of comedy have held the boards longer or more triumphantly than goldsmith and his brother irishman sheridan she stoops to conquer the rivals the school for scandal and the critic represent the sunny side of the irish genius to perfection they illustrate in the most convincing way possible how the debt of the world to ireland has been increased by the fate which ordained that her choicest spirits should express themselves in a language of wider appeal Than the ancient speech of Aaron. On the other hand, English literature and the English tongue have gained greatly from the influence exerted by writers familiar from their childhood with turns of speech and modes of expression which, even when they are not translations from the Gaelic, are characteristic of the Hibernian temper. The late Dr. P. W. Joyce, in his admirable treatise on English as spoken in Ireland, has illustrated not only the essentially bilingual character of the Anglo-Irish dialect, but the modes of thought which it enshrines. There is no better known form of Irish humour than that commonly called the Irish bull, which is too often set down to lax thinking and faulty logic. But it is the rarest thing to encounter a genuine Irish bull which is not picturesque, and at the same time highly suggestive. Take, for example, the saying of an old Kerry doctor who, when conversing with a friend on the high rate of mortality observed bedad there's people dying who never died before here a truly illuminating result was attained by the simple device of using the indicative for the conditional mood as in juvenal's famous comment on cicero's second philippe antoni gladios futi contemner sic omnia Dixit the irish bull is a heroic and sometimes successful attempt to sit upon two stools at once or as an irishman put it englishmen often make bulls but the irish bull is always pregnant though no names of such outstanding distinction as those of goldsmith and sheridan occur in the early decades of the nineteenth century the spirit of irish comedy was kept vigorously alive by maria edgeworth william magnan francis mahoney father proud and william carleton sir walter scott's splendid tribute to the genius of maria edgeworth is regarded by some critics as extravagant but it is largely confirmed in a most unexpected quarter the great russian novelist proclaimed himself her disciple and has left it on record that but for her example he might never have attempted to give literary form to his impressions of the classes in russia corresponding to the poor Irish and the Squearines, and the Squires of County Langford. Magine and Mahoney were both scholars, the latter happily called himself an Irish potato seasoned with Attic salt, wrote largely for English periodicals, and spent most of their lives out of Ireland. In the writings of all three of an element of the grotesque is observable, tempered, however, in the case of Mahoney, with a vein of tender pathos, which emerges in his delightful Bells of Shandon. McGee was a wit Mahoney was the hedge schoolmaster in excelsis and carleton was the first realist in irish present fiction but all alike drew their best inspiration from essentially irish themes the pendulum has swung back slowly but steadily since the days when irish men of letters found it necessary to accommodate their genius to purely english literary standards even lever though he wrote for the english public wrote mainly about ireland so too with his contemporary le Fanu, whose reputation rests on a double basis he made some wonderful excursions into the realm of the bizarre, the uncanny and the gruesome. But in the collection known as the Purcell Papers we found three short stories which for exuberant drollery and diversion have never been excelled. That the same man could have written Uncle Silas and the Quarjander is yet another proof of the strange dualism of Irish character the record of the last fifty years shows an uninterrupted progress in the invasion of the english bells' letters by irish writers outside literature perhaps the most famous sayer of good things of our times was a simple irish parish priest the late father Healy. of his humorous sayings the number is legion his wit may be illustrated by a less familiar example his comment on a very tall young lady named lynch Nature gave her an inch, and she took an ell. In the House of Commons today, there is no greater master of irony and sardonic humor than his namesake, Mr. Tim Healy. On one occasion, he remarked that Lord Rosebery was not a man to go tire shooting with, except at the zoo. On another, being anxious to bring an indictment against the castle regime in Dublin, and finding the way blocked by a debate on Uganda he successfully accomplished his purpose by a judicious geographical transference of names and convulsed the house by a speech in which the nomenclature of central africa was applied to the government of ireland but wit and humour are the monopoly of no class or calling in ireland they flourish alike among car drivers and caseys publicans and policemen priests and parsons beggars and peers It is commonplace of criticism to deny these qualities in their highest form to women but this is emphatically untrue of ireland and was never more conclusively disproved than by the recent literary achievements of her daughters the partnership of two irish ladies miss edith somerville and miss violet martin has given us some experiences of an irish rm for example resident magistrate the most delicious comedy and in the real charlotte the finest tragedy comedy that have come out of great britain in the last thirty years the r m as it is familiarly called is already a classic but the irish comedy humane to use the phrase in the sense of balzac is even more vividly portrayed in the pages of the real charlotte humour genuine though intermittent irradiates the autumnal talent of miss jane Barlow and the long roll of gifted irishwomen who have contributed to the gaiety of nations may be closed with the names of miss hunt author of folk-tales of breffni of miss perdone and miss winifred letts who in prose and verse respectively have moved us to tears and laughter by their studies of lannister peasant life and of mora o'neil mrs scrine the imperable singer of the glens of antrim and to give a full list of the living Irish writers, male and female, who are engaged in the benevolent work of driving dull care away, would be impossible within the space at our command. But we cannot end without recognition of our exhilarating extravaganzas of George A. Birmingham, Canon Hanay, the freakish and elfin muse of James Stevens, and the coruscating wit of F. P. Dunn, the famous Irish-American humorist whose Mr. Dully is a household word on both sides of the Atlantic. References Goldsmith, Vicar of Wakefield, She Stoops to Conquer, Sheridan, The Rivals, The School for Scandal, The Critic, R. Edgeworth, Essay on Irish Bulls, M. Edgeworth, Castle Rackrent, The Absentee, McGinn, Miscellanies in Prose and Verse, Carlton, Traits and Stories of the Irish Peasantry, Mahoney, Father Prout, Relics of Father Prout, John and Michael Banham, Tales of the O'Hara Family, Lover, Legends and Stories of Ireland, Handy Andy, Lever, Harry Michael Banham, Tales of the O'Hara Family, Lover, Legends and Stories of Ireland, Handy Andy, Lever, Harry Laura Creer, Charles O'Malley, Lord Kilgobin, Le Fanu, Le Purcell Papers, Barlow, Bogland Studies, Irish Ideals, Irish Neighbors, birmingham the seething pot spanish gold the major's niece the red hand of ulster general john reagan stevens the crock of gold here are ladies hunt the folk tales of brefney proudhon the folk of furry farm somerville and ross the real charlotte some experiences of an irish r m all on the irish shore dan russell the fox end of section number thirty three recording by april six zero nine zero california United States of America.